Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Patricia Norland, author of the new book, The Saigon Sisters, Privileged Women in the Resistance. Patricia Norland most recently worked as a public diplomacy officer within the U.S. Department of State. She is the translator of Beyond the Horizon and the author of Vietnam in the Children of the World series. We spoke to Patricia about how her chance encounter with a social worker in Ho Chi Minh City set the stage for writing her new book, Why We Desperately Need to Diversify the Voices Chronicling the History of 20th Century Vietnam, and Why Personal Oral Histories Are Irreplaceable in Truly Understanding the Region's Rich History. Hello, Patricia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. It's very nice to be on here with you. Well, wanted to give you a congratulations on your new book from Northern Illinois University Press, The Saigon Sisters, Privileged Women in the Resistance. Tell us the backstory behind this book. What inspired you to write this book? Well, there was a trigger incident and that evolved into a a bigger bigger, uh, inspiration. The incident was in Saigon itself in 1988, of course, officially Ho Chi Minh City after 1975. And the incident was a chance encounter with a social worker named Juan. I was working for a nonprofit organization here in D.C. at the time and visiting Vietnam to best assess uh, the limited aid that was then allowed. Um, Of course, in the 80s, we did not have official government relations, did not come until 1995, but a few, especially church-sponsored groups, were taking delegations over to see what limited aid could be shared and how best to apply it. I was working for the Indochina Project and went to Saigon in 1988, and we had a particularly revealing briefing by this social worker. And I went up to her afterwards, and I I thanked Juan for being so candid. Uh, Things were tough in those days. Uh, Ho Chi Minh City was a dusty, uh, laid-back place with uh, rivers of bicycles in the streets and and, um, uh, a lot of post-war trauma and difficulties, and she was quite candid about them. So I went up to her, and I asked her where she had gone to school. And the the three most unexpected words tumbled out of her mouth. She said, well, actually, I went just up the street here to the Lycée Marie Curie. And I thought, hmm, she speaks beautiful English. She went to the uh, premier girls' school in Saigon in the 1940s, and here she is in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm, It felt like there was a backstory there. And sure enough, she said that um, there was a small group still from Lycée Marie Curie, who had stayed in Vietnam and and sided with the resistance and the revolution, and that they were very closely bonded by by their youth together at the Lycée. And I asked if I could meet some of her other friends, and she said she would ask them. And a long story, as in almost 30 years later, um, we have their stories uh, in, in a book. The bigger inspiration, of course, Jonathan, is that I've long felt that there's a need to hear more voices from Vietnam. We have so many books on Vietnam, but so many of them written by 
by Westerners, by, by Western men who served as diplomats or journalists or military officials. But it it was it feels like it's time to to diversify the voices we hear from Vietnam, and I think the Saigon Sisters, in a, in a very small way, begin to help um, contribute to that fuller understanding from the Vietnamese perspective what was going on throughout much of the 20th century. That's fantastic, and it is unusual for women to speak up in societies like Vietnam that are shaped by Confucian thinking. So this is in addition to this, the oral history aspect of it, this is, this is a, a big breakthrough, I think, for, for history. Well, well I, I, I appreciate your, that perspective, and I, and I think there is something to it, as some of the women themselves reveal in terms of motivations for, for taking the path less taken. Uh, when you're privileged, you, in those days, you could easily be sent to France, the colonial power at the time, or, or the United States. And and stay in safety and security, but um, all these women had those options, and in some cases did go, but they all came back, and they all ended up staying in Ho Chi Minh City and uh, preserving a, a very special friendship, again, again forged in, uh, in the French cocoon that was the Lycée Marie Curie. Um, and several of them had to overcome cultural and political uh, hesitations, uh, reservations about speaking about their own personal lives, and especially perhaps to an American. But um, some trust was born over the years, and I'm very grateful for it. And I hope that their stories will help inspire others to speak up and, and have a better understanding again so we stop repeating some of the uh, mistakes that we're seeing play out even today in other parts of the world. Definitely, definitely. Personal voices that are, that are yeah. rarely heard in history books, it's very powerful. Uh, and this very personal approach to history will make an impact in the field. What do you hope, or how do you hope that your book will make an impact in the field of, of history? I hope it will showcase indeed the value of oral history and specifically the more unheard perspectives, which still, despite it being 2020, uh, includes women and, and uh, less lesser minority groups and, and um, those not in the corridors of power, the, the unheralded, unheralded voices, if you will. And to your point, Jonathan, um, early in the scrubbing of the manuscript, um, I had a reader, I, I don't know who exactly it was, but an academic who actually recommended reorganizing the mess narratives and chopping them into small pieces to be sprinkled in, in a broader history that I would write. And I just thought, my goodness, we are missing the point here. It is, we don't need one more history by another outsider. Um, I take the point we needed to frame their personal stories. And I'm very grateful to Dr. Christopher Gosha, who uh, gave a very useful and, and insightful uh, forward, uh, setting the stage, the historic stage for these individual stories. But the idea, I, I thought that experience kind of encapsulated our, our, our still our bias to say, no, we, we, will, we will do the overview, we will analyze, and then we'll give a, a, a few sentences here and there of the actual 
voices, uh, people's views. And so um, I'm glad that uh, we were o get able to get over that and find a, a middle ground. Again, we need to frame the stories, but hearing their own uh, recollections, their own accounts, their choice of words, their memories, their family ties, I think I agree. I think that is that is irreplaceable. Definitely, definitely. So with this approach, um, that it, that is a I wouldn't say that's necessarily controversial. It's 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 unique and, and necessary for the field. What are some what are some elements within the oral histories or your approach that may be seen as controversial within your field? Well, <clears throat> I do. I, I, I guess it's all somewhat of a of a theme here in the sense that we need to hear more from the other side, if you will. I have a basement where with full of bookshelves that are groaning with one more um, American account of what happened to them, and 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 that's important. But if, if there's something wrong when 95% of those books are by people who more or less flit in and out of Vietnam. And that doesn't give us enough of an understanding. What are the cultural underpinnings? The, 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 how does the literature and the, myth, the myths and the, the, the birth stories of, the, of, the, of, of Vietnam, how do those things shape people and the decisions they make? The range of motivations for these privileged women Span studying uh, epic poems like the Kim Van Kyu that that struck chords within them about why they could not sit back and and let the French colonial regime continue to dictate to their people. Um, there are so many uh, insights and so many revelations that I wish we had my uh, we had known at the time. In my view, U.S. officials really ignored telltale signs of why the French were defeated in Indochina. Um, there are lots of histories of French Indochina, this abundance of books by Westerners, but we still have a strong need for books by Vietnamese on why they fought the French, and when the French left, why they fought the Americans. And I feel in some ways that more than the sum of a handful of these tomes by by people uh, from Washington in many cases, that in lieu of that, any one of the Saigon sisters' accounts would have helped unveil the, the, the reasons why, even as, again, women of privilege, they rejected rule by foreigners. They could have gone abroad and never returned, but instead they endure decades of trauma. There is stuff we need to understand there. We have to flip the script and stop focusing on on us and and more on understanding the deep cultural and historical reasons that people um, are patriotic and make very difficult decisions for which they pay very high prices. Um, and the more we understand that, again, uh, I think the more we can avoid um, repeating some of these tragedies. I completely agree. Uh, you know, using history as a guide, we need to hear everyone's voice, and in particular in wartime, um, it's, it seems to be human nature that you you have to demonize the enemy so you you don't feel so guilty about the warfare itself, killing all these people. Um, it's a, exactly. a sick tragedy, but dehumanizing the enemy 
you don't you you shut off any type of hearing um and even in the most recent wars um of this the past decade it's very clear that within the media you, you rarely ever hear the voices of the enemy um exactly so-called enemy. exactly yeah. yes no i i think that's exactly right we don't we don't study the impact of war on civilians enough. Um, we we have a, a lot of military accounts, and of course, it's 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 enormous sacrifice that they, our men and women, make. But we need to get beyond just describing weapons and battles, and 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 understand again why why are and how does war affect civilians long term? How does it affect their families? How how what kind of education they have their careers it's um it's it's something we really need to uh, balance out a lot more and the sooner the better wars aren't fought and then end as a as a veteran friend said recently on a on a webinar celebrating the 25th anniversary of uh, normal of normalizing normalization of diplomatic relations and i think we still need to um that's why studying the impacts over time on individuals, I think really has uh, an important role to play. Most certainly, most certainly. Um, one final question I had, uh, and this may be difficult to do, you, you trace the lives of nine women uh, within your book. Is there, among the many stories and anecdotes, is there one that, that rises to the surface as, as uh, very memorable for you? Well, you're right. It is hard to choose, and I guess that is uh, part of the the richness and texture of this book is that, well, quite honestly, and of course I am biased because I know them all, um, any one of these women, could there could be a book about her life. Um, and it's interesting because they, they're very, in di very different places on the political spectrum. You'll find that a couple of them say, I, I've never been interested in politics. If I ever got involved, it was because I wanted to help the people directly and on the other end of the spectrum you have people who throw themselves uh, completely into the uh, the struggle and uh, and uh, subsume the i and for the we and so uh, across that spectrum there each story I, I find very interesting but to answer your question i okay i have to maybe go for two but you can edit one out one one is tan who is kind of on the political end of the spectrum, but her description of what the, her political awakening included, including watching American movies in Saigon in the 1940s, describing how a Polish composer of Chopin, how he has to flee his country and he takes a handful, a fistful of dirt from his country with him. So park that little idea, and then she's in the Lycée Marie Curie studying about liberté, fraternité, égalité. Okay, that's an that's an influence. She's going to the theater where she hears in rousing music by Vietnamese composers alluding to massive battles against the Chinese in the past. Oh, she has a wonderful way of weaving all these little cultural and historic and literary touch points, Vietnamese and French and even American, and, and this contributes to her deciding that um, she is going to join the resistance and she is going to make a lifelong commitment to it. And I, I, I find her story extremely 
compelling, even though she arguably pays some of the highest prices. The one other lady I would cite is the interesting case of Juan, who comes from a very wealthy family. Um, and she is sent to the United States to study. She gets a Catholic scholarship uh, in 1950 and studies in La Crosse, Wisconsin, at a small Catholic school there that was then Viterbo College and now Viterbo University. And she's uh, excited to be, learn about social work, and this is a, a discipline that didn't exist in, in the Vietnam that she knew, and she loved it, and she could so easily have stayed in the U.S., but something called her home. And she she goes back to Vietnam and she tries to apply her social work and her story is incredibly compelling and courageous. And um, so I, I boil it down to two, but I do believe each one um, has quite a story to tell. And I so appreciate the chance um, through this podcast to um, to introduce them. Well, yeah, it, it was in many ways an impossible question <laughs> because... Yeah, you 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 showcase nine women. It's difficult to choose amongst them, all of them. Um, so, in a way, that's not really fair. But I did want to give listeners <laughs> an opportunity to hear some of the stories. Um, no, and- I I appreciate that, Jonathan. And again, it gets back to the point of the individual's compelling story. So I I appreciate the question, and I'm sorry I couldn't. I had I had to still go with two. <laughs> That's totally fine. That's totally fine. I wanted to give listeners a taste of, of what's in the book and encourage uh, listeners to actually uh, check out the book. Uh, it's available at all bookstores. It's it, it just came out uh, July fifteenth, uh, hot off the presses. Um, and uh, yes, I want to give you again a hearty congratulations for compiling these oral histories uh, in the new book, The Saigon Sisters: Privileged Women in the Resistance. Uh, Thank you so much, Patricia. It was great talking with you. Thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate this opportunity. That was Patricia Norland, author of the new book, The Saigon Sisters, Privileged Women in the Resistance. As a loyal listener to the podcast, we'd like to offer you a special 30% discount on her new book. To receive your discount, please go to cornellpress.cornell.edu and use the promo code 09POD. If you live in the UK, Use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.